you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. How does a successful corporate professional at the top of his game recover from a layoff in December? How can buying a bottle of maple syrup be a life-changing experience? Does noticing and helping other people really matter in business? Listen in for the solid answers in today's podcast. Hey there, Innovation Nation. My guest today is a great podcaster. In fact, he and his partners have started a conference for podcasting called Podcast Movement. But before we dive into today's interview, something Jared said reminded me of a quote from the book The Go-Giver by Berg and Mann. In the book they say, All great fortunes in the world have been created by men and women who had a greater passion for what they were giving, their product, service, or idea, than for what they were getting. And many of those great fortunes have been squandered by others who had a greater passion for what they were getting than what they were giving. We often have this view of business as a one-way street where businesses take our money. But if we back up a moment and take a good look, we'll notice that the best and most trusted businesses have a long-standing habit of serving their customers very well. In fact, I heard a story about a Nordstrom's employee who took a return on some snow tires. <laughs> you see the show notes for a link on that one. However, in real life, can we really be that generous? Does generosity matter? We think it does. In fact, in our Summer Inventors Bootcamp classes, students are always encouraged to share what they've learned with other students rather than keeping the knowledge to themselves. Just last week when we had our first class of the summer, one of the students became known as the wiring guy because he figured out and memorized the wiring for the robot motors that everyone was using. Not only did the other students get the help they needed faster, Auden, the wiring guy, got a great sense of confidence from helping. To learn more about Inventors Bootcamp, visit ttinvent.com and click the Inventors Bootcamp button. I'm excited today to introduce you to Jared Easley. Jared recently suffered a dramatic corporate downsizing incident that left him reeling, but managed to silence all the doom and gloom voices that seem to plague most of us at moments like that. He cites as his inspirational turnaround the movie It's a Wonderful Life and the sincere gratitude of a podcast listener. Let's find out more about this fascinating story. My guest today is Jared Easley. Jared's the co-founder of Podcast Movement, which started last year, and they had uh, 600 people at their event, and they're anticipating up to 1,000 this year. And he's got a podcast called Starve the Doubts. And... In the future, in the very near future, I hear, he is uh, writing a book called Stop Chasing Influencers. Jared, tell us a little bit about that book. Hey, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. The book uh, that you mentioned, Stop Chasing Influencers, is actually uh, written already. It's going to be coming out later this year in bookstores across North America, and it'll be online on Amazon and, and various online book options. But the, the title, as you pointed out, is called Stop Chasing Influencers. And the subtitle is called The True Path to Building Your Business and Living Your Dream. 
And I made a mistake, Steve, when I was starting out podcasting. I thought if I could uh, create a show where I interviewed a lot of successful and influential people, that that would have a transfer of credibility or perceived credibility to what I was doing. And it was possible that some of their audience would kind of transfer to me. And um, while I was fortunate to interview some really amazing people that were very successful in their space and in their niche, most of those people didn't share the podcast episode. And there was nothing wrong with that. It, what I realized was it wasn't their responsibility to grow my network or grow my audience. They were very generous with their time. But I realized that a lot of people have those challenges when they're starting their business or they're focusing on an idea where they want to grow their influence is they spend a lot of time looking at what the big boys are doing. And there's some wisdom in that because success leaves clues, but it can be a problem if you're just focused so heavily on what certain influential people are doing rather than going and creating and doing something yourself that serves your core audience or serves that ideal customer. So the book is, is going to help people to create a true path to building their own business and living their own dream, not someone else's. The feedback we've gotten so far has been outstanding. And, yeah, so we're, we're not saying don't uh, pay attention to what influential people are doing, but also we're saying don't, you know, don't spend all your time focused on them when you need to create your own influence to grow your own ideas and, and build your own dreams. So, yeah, it's going to be a really good book, and it's coming out a little bit later this year. So tell us a little bit about your dreams and your goals for your business and like where that started out and maybe how that's evolved to today. Uh, well, I was in the, the corporate world I, just a few years ago. I was in a cubicle and I was having success with the day job. I really went all in that particular year and, and decided I'm going to be the top biller in this whole company. And that was a, a difficult thing to navigate. I had to outwit and out, outwork people and get creative with the clients. And uh, at the end of the year, I'd measured this. I uh, used tons of strategy, Steve. I had become the top biller in that entire organization, and I'd only been there a few years, and that was unheard of at that point. Like everyone who was winning that time, there were ten years or more, or something ridiculous like that. And I got a bonus, and you know, I got a, a little bit of increase in responsibilities and stuff. But at the end of the day, and uh, the new day, <laughs> the next day, I realized that none of that mattered. It was kind of what have you done for me lately. It all started all over again, and that was a tiring moment for me because I, I realized the effort and the energy I'd put in that year before for the results that I received was kind of a joke, and while I'm not down on being an employee and I'm not down on uh, working a corporate job, I realized right then that if I was going to continue to put in the effort and the creativity on that level, I needed to do it for myself. And so I started reading a lot of books. I started listening to a lot of podcasts to try to learn how do you do that. Because I don't have an experience as an entrepreneur. I don't have a background in that. Certainly not a successful one. And I'm glad I started on that path, Steve, because I, I did get encouraged through the different content that I was consuming on those topics. And that compelled me to say, maybe I could launch my own podcast. And in launching my own podcast, I was fortunate to connect and talk with a lot of really smart people. That show that I started has now over two years old and over 200 episodes and it's opened up the door for me to create a business which we'll talk about later with podcast movement and it's given me my first traditional published book deal it's blessed me with opportunities to speak and and just uh, created momentum and, and new doors have opened up that didn't exist before and i'm thankful to say that those things are happening now steve because what i haven't put in there is i ultimately got let go i was doing all the things that were right but the company 
you know, had trouble with their numbers and then they cut multiple people. And I was one of them. And that was December of 2013. I remember getting in the car, driving home to my wife thinking, what am I going to tell her? It's, it's almost Christmas and now I don't have a job. And that was a tough season, Steve, uh, because I felt like a loser. And that, that voice inside my head was saying, man, you, you know, you just don't have what it takes. And it got even worse. I wish to say it, it stopped there. But I remember going to Publix, which is a grocery store chain here in Florida. And my wife is into Pinterest and she likes different Pinterest recipes. And she'd asked me to go buy maple syrup. And I think maple syrup was maybe you know $4 or $5, whatever uh, the type she wanted me to get. And I picked up this maple syrup and went to the, the counter there the cashier and i swiped my visa check card and it got declined <laughs> and Ouch. i didn't have any Ouch. cash in my wallet to pay for this maple syrup and that was one of the toughest moments of my life up to that point steve because those voices in my head had never been louder they were just saying you you are a loser you can't even pay for maple syrup you are a bad father you're a bad husband uh, you are chasing things that are ridiculous. You, you know, look at what you've become. And in that moment, I had something happen that just really changed my life, Steve. And that was a very discouraging time. But a lady had reached out to me and sent me an email. And she's actually probably not far from where you are. I believe you're in Southern California. Is that right, Steve? Yeah. So she's somewhere in Southern California, and she had sent me an email saying, hey, I just listened to this episode of your podcast, and it really encouraged me. And I've, I've got these different challenges that I'm working through, and, and hearing this episode just was exactly what I needed. And that was deeper than just kind feedback, Steve. That was somebody noticing me, and that clicked. Like I realized right then and there, like that's what I'm missing I need to, uh, you know, I, I appreciate so much what this lady has done for me and this gift of noticing me. How many other people could I bless and could I help if I was just gracious enough to, to start noticing them? And that was a turning point. Uh, it was a mind shift. So I started to look at who are the people that I want to speak to, who are the people that I want to uh, support, that I want to notice. And I'd find unique ways to do that, Steve. And it started out with just five people. You know, I made a list and each, you know, each week I'd go and maybe comment on their Facebook status or I would share their blog post if they were writing blogs or I'd listen to their podcast if they had a podcast. I would uh, do a handwritten card if nothing else. You know, I didn't do the same things all the time, but I just did that consistently for five people. And then that grew into 10 and 10 grew into 20 and then, you know, 20 actually grew to 30 and then it was starting to get out of control. It was just too many people. But what happened there was really interesting, Steve, is I created a lot of rapport by generously and authentically noticing people, people that I wanted to help, people that I believed in and people who appreciated that I was noticing them, not someone who is an influential person who's way up the mountain who could care less if I noticed them. These are people who are in the trenches, people who are creating what they felt compelled to create. And by noticing them, they appreciated it, and the rapport was there. And over time, what I've found, Steve, is when you get enough people who appreciate you and who are grateful for the way you've served them or helped them or shown interest in what they do, the law of reciprocity kicks in. And now you have 30 people saying, we love Steve. You know, Steve is awesome. Steve, that, that guy, he's just always uh, so encouraging or he's helping me out or he's looking out for me. And people 
as a whole will listen to a large group of people that say, we love Steve. But if it's just you by yourself saying, look at me, look at me, pay attention to what I'm doing, a lot of people won't ever notice that. They'll blow that off. They're immune to it. They're numb to it. But when they hear the crowd say, look at Steve, we like Steve, they will listen to that. And I thought that was an interesting case study, an interesting thing to learn. And so now that's one of the ways that we've created momentum to start the things like podcast movement. Is it all started with just being willing to notice people and to be generous in that and make that the focus. And what's happened over time is that reciprocity has is, is kicked in after that rapport was created. And that's called building an army. And when you have an army, people will notice what you're up to. So I thought you were going to say when you're coming to that story that you listened to, you know, to these podcasts and they encouraged you. And it's interesting that someone from your audience actually encouraged you and that you noticed, wow, I make a difference, and that you were able to turn that and say, wow, what difference could I make? Well, what I listened to uh, before I had launched my own podcast, that inspired me to take action. And the action at the time was to start my own show. Even though I didn't have all the answers, even though I didn't even know what the perfect name of the podcast would be, it was compelling enough to say, hey, I need to take some steps. And it's like if you're sitting on the sideline in a football game you can't make the play or you can't win if you're just sitting on the sidelines you got to get in the game and that was compelling to me at the time i thought well <laughs> you know i had those voices in my head then, even then steve said well I, I don't have a ton of experience and i don't have this amazing story i don't know what to share with people how can i start a podcast they're not you know who's going to listen to me and I had learned from two guys, Jason and Jeremy, they do a show called Internet Business Mastery. They talked about if you don't uh, have that story or that level of experience or you don't feel that you do, that's okay. You can always have conversations kind of like you do, Steve, with your show. You can have conversations with people and share their experiences. And in doing so and in in curating that and putting that out there, that's valuable. And so that's kind of what I did. I started my own show just like you, Steve, you know, sharing stories and and sharing those stories, <laughs> that's going to create this instant tribe and this mass thing. And it didn't work. But what did work was that lady sending me that email and then kind of learning from that. I guess learning in that moment of, of what could be perceived as failure, I had my biggest takeaway. And that was, you know, I need to notice other people. And that that created opportunities that didn't exist simply because there were people now who cared about what I was up to. But it started with me caring about what they're up to first. That's a pretty big shift, but I don't think you're the only person that has those voices. I think at some level all of us have those voices, and they tend to come at us when we're down and kick us when we're when it seems like life has just beat us up pretty bad. Yep. How did you deal with those voices? Like, Did you come head on at it? Did you go back to the podcast? Did you just focus on the, that shift of reaching out to encourage other people? How did you deal with the voices? <laughs> well, there's several ways to deal with the voices. One of the ways that I dealt with it is I was actually watching the movie It's a Wonderful Life, which, you know, I don't think that's a Christmas movie. It does have Christmas in it, but that movie can be watched anytime. And, and for people who are listening, they should consider try to go back and watch that. And maybe wait till December, but try to go back and watch <laughs> it. What, what, what's interesting about that movie is uh, so many things. But what I learned at the end is, is George Bailey is in a, a very challenging situation where he owes money and, you know, he just feels like his life's come to an end. And what we see in the very last few scenes of that movie is the community coming together and supporting him in a powerful way because he had given and given and given to those people. And it turns out why he didn't have a lot of money. These people came to bat and supported him financially. And it 
turns out that his brother made a comment at the end of that movie. It says, here's to my brother George, the richest man in town. And I remember hearing that line, and I've watched that movie before, but for some reason in that challenging season of my life watching that movie, I realized that a lot of us are already rich. Steve, we have everything that we already need. We have family who love us, people in our network who care. We have our health. We have you know, so many blessings. And it's real easy to say, well, I need this and this and this. And some of that's true. But I think figuring out what does it really mean to be rich, that was one way that really helped me to be grateful. And I've heard Tony Robbins make that comment. He's like, fear goes away when you're filled with gratitude because there's just no room for it. And I think there's some truth to that. And another thing is, is fear hates community. So when you're surrounding yourself with people who are like-minded, people who are, who are wanting to take steps and wanting to be productive, and I think those types of people help you to, to be encouraged to continue to, to be prudent, but to also not be afraid to take smart steps. So I would say community is, is essential. And then doing your homework. There's nothing that beats that. You need to be uh, prepared. And, and I think that's Another way of, of looking at fear, doubt, those voices that are in your head is sometimes the voices are saying one thing. Maybe instead of, of translating it you know, as this negative statement, maybe you can pivot that statement and say, okay, what the voices in my head are really saying is, am I prepared? And if you can reposition fear and reposition doubt and kind of look at it from the angle of, of are you prepared? Well, have you done your homework? You know, have you gotten good advice from people who are smart and know what they're doing? You know, are you, are you prepared? And if you're prepared and you have good homework and you have a good community and you know what your core values are and what really is important to you in life, then it's okay to take steps. You know, be smart. Don't be reckless. You know, go ahead and take some steps. Even if you have some doubt and stuff, go ahead and do that because you've got those things that are a strong foundation to support what you're doing. Do you have a story that you can share with us here of someone that you invested in as you were starting to make this shift that has kind of come back in that George Bailey sort of way? <laughs> There's tons of stories like that, but I would encourage listeners, don't judge a book by its cover. And we've heard that all our lives, but it's so easy to look around at people in your network and say, well, I'm not likely to do business with this person, or I'm not likely to align, strategically align with this person, because they're just not on the level where they could help me. And I think that could be a mistake. I think there is wisdom in looking for situations where you partner up with people on different ideas and different opportunities. However, that said, you don't know where people are going to be in two years or five years, Steve. We don't know where you'll be in five years. You might be on a completely different playing field. And for people to write you off now and say, oh, I'm just I refuse to talk to Steve. I refuse to be aligned with him. That could be a big mistake. <laughs> so an example of this is my business partner, Dan. Dan and I have podcast movement now. But when I first met Dan, he's in a different position than he is uh, now than he was when I first met him. He was a professional wrestler, and he was traveling <laughs> around the high school gyms, clotheslining people and body slamming, and he'd get paid 25 bucks and a hot dog. And it had been real easy to say, okay, yeah, this is probably not somebody I want to be working with. But what people don't know is he's uh, very business savvy. He's relentless. He's a CPA. The guy is, is incredibly smart. And uh, he works well with other people. He's a team player. And, 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 you know, I started to see some of that. And I knew of his creativity, a podcast he used to do. He doesn't do it anymore, but it's called Entrepreneur Showdown. And that's how we first got connected. And through a series of different collaboration and, and different ways of working together, eventually, you know, formed the business that we have now with Podcast Movement. But 
I think the, the takeaway there is, is you can look at somebody and say, okay, I don't think that's a person that can help me or that's a person I would work with and have an increase in visibility or an increase in success in this project, but you might be wrong. So always be looking around at people and what are their, you know, kind of their core values. And, and if their core values are similar to yours and kind of make your decision based on that, not just on what the surface is. So you shared a lot of deep wisdom that you've learned in the last couple of years from you know some hard knocks and starting a business and being laid off and let go at a really particularly bad time of the year. If you look back to your formal educational experience, so grade school, middle school, high school, college, did any of that prepare you or were there specific lessons maybe that you learned on the way through or was this something you just had to learn just by going out and doing it? I was talking to my sister about this recently. Her sons are in, you know, this pretty prestigious, I I call it prestigious, private school in Orlando, Florida. And I had grown up in a private school, but then switched in high school over to a public school. And I remember my mom making a comment one time to my sister and I about, well, that wasn't a a good decision in hindsight because your grades suffered and this, this and this. And and I I thought about that for a little bit, Steve. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to play the uh, devil's advocate here. And I'm going to say that was one of the best things that happened to me. And here's why. One of the things I learned from going from this private school education, which was fantastic and I don't regret having, into an environment of public school, or maybe the education wasn't the same exact level as the private school is. The public school allowed me to be in a much more diverse environment with the students. And I think in this economy and in this day of uh, an age of technology and it's just becoming an advantage to be able to work with so many different types of people and be able to relate to so many different types of people. And I feel like even at that young age, going through that experience, I think that was my biggest one of my biggest takeaways from high school was not necessarily the the classroom and the subjects that I was learning. It was more of the diversity of the students and getting to know different types of students from different racial backgrounds and different ethnicities and different religions and different economic backgrounds. That, I think, was very valuable to me, getting that type of exposure and those types of opportunities at that age. And then the second thing, Steve, is typing. I took a typing class when I was young and I learned to type. And now it is no thing for me to just get on a keyboard and do really well with a keyboard and keyboards are probably going to go away with all these tablets and iPads and stuff over time but I know how to type <laughs> you know what I think man that's one of the useful things I learned going to high school is learning how to type so on the topic of having a deep appreciation for diversity being able to work with diverse groups of people did that have any influence on your getting connected with Dan I think so Dan well Yes and no. I think diversity just it set me up because I was I, I haven't mentioned this in the interview, but I, I, I was in the Navy. And when I was in the Navy, that was a melting pot. I mean, there was different types of people from all over the country, different backgrounds. And, and I was able to adapt to those scenarios and being able to adapt to those scenarios. And now being in a business situation, working with Dan and interacting with different people that we're doing business with. I don't know. I just feel like it, I have I just have a little bit of an advantage over some people just because I can relate to more folks. I think maybe that's not right, but I feel like it is. It's interesting that you said you were. So were you enlisted in the Navy? Is that did I get the right I was, relationship? Yeah. So I actually yeah, worked. I went to school for a while and I didn't have enough money to keep going. So instead of taking loans, I went in the Navy. I actually worked for the Navy, but not as an enlisted person. I went all the way to graduate school and I came at it from the other direction. Um, Interesting. How long did you stay in the Navy? Was it just like a single tour and then? Yeah, back it was. The it was one enlistment, and then yeah, I was. I realized that was uh, 
that was a cool experience, but I was uh, ready to move on. <laughs> so as you look back across your experience from grade school, middle school, high school, uh, college, Navy, and between a little more college business, are there any common educational themes, things that you learned along the way that have kind of deepened your ability and your appreciation to glean these lessons from life? Mm, I think structure, having the structure was critical to development and, and now certainly running a business, even, you know, just a small business, that, that structure was a powerful thing that I needed at that young age and working in collaboration with fellow students. I can't stress diversity enough. I think that was important. Yeah, my answers probably aren't going to be the textbook answers, Steve. I hope that's okay. <laughs> but like stuff like sports, I mean, I, I, I wasn't just a superstar athlete, but I, I was involved in sports and that taught me a lot about teamwork. That taught me a lot about respect for authority. I'd say even, uh, oh, this is funny, dating or lack thereof. I mean, when I was in high school, like I liked the girls and not all the girls liked me back and there were even valuable lessons to learn from that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you make yourself uh, someone that is, is a better person to date, if you will, you know, or someone that people want to be around. People want to get to know charm, if you will, like all those things, like, ah, man, if I really boiled it down, yeah, there's, there's so many things that are applicable, but it might not be what uh, some people think, you know, yeah, of course, math and science and English and Spanish and, you know, all these things that you learn in school, those things are relevant. Those things are important. But some of the other intangibles are, I think, is what really have had an impact in my life. I'm not looking for a textbook answer. Our audience is looking for what successful people are doing and have done. And we get all kinds of answers to that. That is not to worry on our podcast. <laughs> So I'm curious, Steve, what do you think of that answer? <laughs> You're probably like, I, yeah, that's... No, I, I like it because it's the one thing we don't tend to focus on in, in school. We don't think about life skills very hard. Soft skills is kind of the term that, that schools will use. And they're the first thing to go. I mean, in an educational environment, you know, you got to keep math and you, know, you got to keep reading and writing. And at this point, it almost feels like testing. But you know, the soft skills like how to collaborate. I mean, your little short anecdote there about dating. I mean, how many students wonder that in high school and then get out and never learn how to walk up to a stranger and say, hey, I, I noticed that you have this, you know, this design on your shirt. It reminds me of this thing and get into a conversation in a random situation and might be really afraid of that. But I've had those kind of conversations end up introducing me to some really interesting people but if you're afraid of that or and, and you're not very approachable it can be a real hindrance so i think it was a great answer actually <laughs> i i don't talk about my middle school and high school experience hardly ever so you bringing this up is kind of nostalgic for me and i'm kind of now that i'm really thinking about it i realize man that was such a, a beautiful time even though you know you're young and, and you're going through kind of a, a weird season being a teenager and that you know that's a challenging time in life for some, but I realized, man, that there were so many things that that set me up in a good way. Like I I did a speech class, I was in chorus, but I was also in sport. Yeah, I did a, a play. I mean, there were so many things that helped build my confidence at a young age that have now I think put me in a reasonable position to do a presentation or. Uh, be able to interact with people like you pointed out. And, and uh, you know, I've never really thought and sat down and kind of thought through that too deeply. But now that I do talk about it on this interview, I think, man, I don't know how I could have been set up any better than, than what it was. I think a lot of people undersell the value of confidence, actually, for a, for a yeah. teenager. There's an inflection point in your life right there in middle school and early high school where you either 
approach life with confidence or you approach life with reticence. And the confidence allows you many more opportunities, but the reticence keeps you back or, or, or stops you from trying things that might be a little risky. Mm-hmm. I think we very much miss some great opportunities as uh, teachers, maybe as parents, focusing on things like grades or content or other things when our students are missing the confidence they need to try something new. I mean, if you watch, for instance, nine-month-old or one-year-old as they're trying to learn how to walk right at that point where they're, they're going from crawling to walking, if they don't have the fearlessness to try again, they'll never learn to walk. But somehow, we all learn to walk, right? I mean, unless there's something horribly wrong with your genetics or something, all of us learn to walk. And somehow, through the process of schooling, we lose that. And it's interesting that you pull that out from your experience in middle school and high school because it's a strong focus for us in our classes is this idea that by the end of, you know, one of our, you know, sort of summer workshops for technology that we want the students to feel like they succeeded at something because we know that that gives them the confidence they need to do again and then maybe again then maybe try something new. Now, I love it that you went back and looked at this and pulled out the soft skills is what was really important. Yeah, I didn't always succeed, Steve. I mean, I had a ton of failures in high school, but I think that age, I could overcome that. I could, you know, maybe at the time I was like, oh, you don't want to fail because that's embarrassing. But I think that is the time to fail. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you you kind of embrace that invisibility and yeah, and and you learn something through winning and through losing that uh, really sets you up. So. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have success all the time, but even in the lack of success in certain areas, it, it gave me an opportunity to try something and figure out what do I really enjoy and what am I just not interested in, and and how do I focus on the things that I am interested in and I am good at. Well, we're gonna wind down here just a little bit and take a left turn and uh, get down to our last two questions we always ask. So I gave you a few minutes to think about this. So the first one in the digital age, I mean, we've got the whole internet out there. We've got YouTube where we can learn to do just about anything. Uh, We've got Wikipedia where we can look up just about anything. And we have Google where we can search, you know, I don't know, over a half a billion websites. I looked up this up the other day. And there's just so much information out there. In that environment where you can just type a few keystrokes and learn just about anything, what does it mean to be educated? Uh, This is an interesting question, Steve. It (laughs) It means that you're aware Maybe you don't have all the answers, but you know how to uh, approach the right people. You know how to do the appropriate homework and do the appropriate research. But, yeah, I I think the takeaway here, luck favors the prepared. So it'd be real easy to say, yeah, I can just jump on Google. But for the people that do their homework, for the people that do the research that are active learners, I think those people set themselves up nicely to have an advantage over a lot of other folks because nothing really replaces preparation in my experience. So, yeah, to to be educated means you're aware. And and I, I think there's an element of humility in being aware. I think you don't know everything, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to work hard to learn the things that are valuable to you. And I found a lot of value in networking and collaboration. So for me personally, I think a form of education is not just what you know, but who you know. So my hope is that people who are listening to this will also consider that. Like, okay, it's one thing to have a lot of head knowledge, but uh, the way you handle your relationships, the main the way you maintain your connections and your friendships is extremely valuable and very important. And that can open up a lot of doors for you professionally. And so I would say education. You know, education is not just 
reading the book. It's also uh, investing in the people around you. I like that answer. So our last question, and this is the philosophical one. So looking back on your experience, looking out at what you see out there with people that you've worked with in our modern world, what is the purpose of an education? The purpose of an education is to be able to contribute, to be able to participate, to be relevant. You need to have a nice foundation of knowledge and uh, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but you need to be aware of your own strengths, aware of the world around you. And I think you need to, yeah, I think that that allows you and uniquely sets you up to be able to contribute, to be a part of society, to be able to do things that are important and things that matter and bring value to your community and to give back, to be generous, to serve others. So I, I think education is incredibly important, and I think anybody can have an education. There might be some people who think, oh, I don't, I don't want to go into this major school debt, and I don't want to do this, this, and this. Well, you can read a book. You can listen to a free podcast. You can watch a YouTube video. To Steve's point, there are so many resources out there now that you know or weren't available before, but they are now. So education is changing, but it doesn't mean that you can't learn. You can always learn. You can even learn just from the people around you. People are an example of what to do or what not to do. And I think uh, I'll always be considering that. You know, what, what are you interested in? What are some things that bring value to others? And, and how do you continue to focus and grow in those areas? And that may be taking classes. That may be listening to a podcast. It may be a combination of both. It may be uh, getting out and just connecting with people generously and serving people. So there's lots of ways to learn, but learning definitely contributes and to the overall value of your life and, and the value of how your life impacts the community. I like your answer. In fact, I'm going to uh, reach back a little bit to one of the things you said about part of the purpose of an education is to help you know yourself and your strengths that you offer to other people. I think that's often overlooked. It's actually an answer that we don't get as much here. I think I've I might have gotten it once or twice, but... That's powerful to know who you are and how you can contribute. One of the things I've learned, Steve, is if, if someone right now is saying, I'm wanting to work on that area of my life, is you could start by just asking the people around you, the people that you know have your back, the people that you know are wanting you to win and wanting to support you. Just ask them, say, hey, what am I good at? What are my strengths? And those people will tell you. They'll say, well, Steve, you're really good at this, and I, I see this in you. When you hear that from several people, in different conversations, separate conversations. Once you kind of know that, you'll be able to say, okay, this person said this and this person said this. And I believe that's true because I've seen that myself. And when you start to figure those things out, that is a nice foundation. That's a nice starting point to start figuring out, okay, what can I learn through these classes? What can I learn through these videos on YouTube or through podcasts or through these other methods that we've discussed to help me grow and help me develop these strengths that these people have said that they see in me. And I think that is likely to create your greatest opportunities for success when you put that focus on the areas that you're good at and the areas that you're strong at. And you can invest in those areas and develop those. Uh, not to say you can't uh, be well-rounded and work on things and, and grow areas of weakness. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm married and I have a daughter and there's things I have to learn and I have to do, you know, as part of my responsibilities to them, but I'm not necessarily speaking to those things, but I would say, you know, focus on your strengths and continue learning and continue growing those strengths and developing those through your 
education through all these different methods that Steve and I are talking about. And uh, that uniquely sets you up to uh, add value to your community and add value to others. I think we're going to wrap it right there. That's a perfect way to end. Thank you, Jared, for taking some time this afternoon. What's the best way for our audience to connect with you? Steve, if podcasting's on anyone's radar, whether they want to, you know, considering doing it or they just enjoy listening to it, I think that is a good enough foundation to consider being a part of Podcast Movement. That's podcastmovement.com. And then I have a podcast as well, so if you run out of episodes of Steve's show and you're just looking for another show to sample until Steve's next episode, then uh, we have a podcast called Starve the Doubts, and that's found at starvethedoubts.com. All right. Well, we will link those up in the show notes. Uh, thank you, Jared, for interviewing with us. Much appreciated. Uh, Steve, yeah, Steve, you have great questions. These are questions I've never been asking on an interview, so I, I really appreciate you uh, <laughs> being patient with me as I try to work through those answers. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, you're very welcome, and thank you for giving us some very cogent answers. If you've been enjoying the conversations and insights here on the podcast, share it with a friend. Great ideas demand to be shared. You can also help fellow parents and educators by subscribing to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast in iTunes, leaving a rating, and writing a review. If you use Android, subscribe, leave us a rating, and write a review in Stitcher. Links to subscribe can be found at www.ttinvent.com podcast. Contact us, and we'll think through the comments and answer your questions here in the podcast. And be sure to let us know if you'd like a shout-out or to remain anonymous. You can share your comments and questions at www.ttinvent.com podcast or by emailing us at podcast at ttinvent.com. Let's discuss your thoughts and questions. Join us again next time when we will again seek to answer the question, what is the purpose of an education? And as educators, how do we awaken the inventor in each of our students? Mm -hmm.